So good morning again. We're going to uh, turn our attention to God's Word this morning. And uh, we're actually not going to look at a story from this week, but ultimately it's a story about this week. It's from the Gospel of John. And uh, at least some of the words are pretty familiar, but I'm guessing that not all the words are all that familiar to us. Early in Jesus' ministry, a man who was a major teacher in the Jewish faith and the Jewish community of the time around Jerusalem uh, was interested in Jesus. He was fascinated by him, curious about him, impressed by him at some level, and so he wanted to talk to Jesus. But we get the sense he didn't want to be seen because Jesus was a bit controversial. And so he found a way to visit Jesus by night. And he kind of came, and he came in a flattering way. He, he uh, complimented Jesus as being a great teacher. But Jesus got down to business right away, and he said some things that puzzled him about being born again in order to see the kingdom of God, or being born again in order to enter the kingdom of God, and to really experience what was, that was about. And it totally puzzled him, this idea of being born again. And he actually asked Jesus, so exactly how would that work? It just utterly puzzled him. And we're going to read the words that Jesus spoke following uh, that question that Nicodemus gave. So I'm going to invite you to stand right now as we listen to words from God's word in John chapter 3, verses 10 through 18. I invite you to listen to these words. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Very I truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we've seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things, and you don't believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. I want to start with a question for you this morning. Uh, What do you look to or who do you look to? Who do you look to for help? When the chips are down, who do you trust and who do you depend upon? And Who do you bank your life and your future on? You know, I think there's something in the, maybe in the human gut and the human psyche, but for sure in the American culture that would lead us to answer that question in a kind of a strange way. Who do you look to? The natural response for us is, I look to myself. Maybe you remember these cliches. If you don't take care of yourself... Nobody else will. Look out for number one. Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Or this famous verse from the Bible that's not in the Bible. God helps those who help themselves. Ideally, we like to take care of our own problems. We are, in a sense, naturally attracted to the idea that we can take care of ourselves, that that we're good enough, that we have what it takes. But the Bible tells us in no uncertain terms that to ultimately depend upon yourself is to ultimately fail. That it won't work. That in the end, 
we all fall short. The Bible tells us in no uncertain terms that ultimately we all need God and we need God's help. That's kind of like the the classic human and classic American answer. Who do you look to? Who do you ultimately depend on? I depend on myself. When something goes wrong, I don't go running. I maybe retreat and go in and kind of have a conversation with myself. Anybody else have conversations with yourselves? What now? And try to figure it out. Because to actually ask for help is to admit defeat. Anybody know about that? I think it's tied to that same reflex. It's a male reflex uh, about not asking for help, about, for directions about where you're going. Anybody follow that path? It doesn't always work, does it? But you know, there's another um, answer that's become increasingly popular in our culture as well. And that is that when it comes to ultimate issues, I don't really need any help because I'm okay just the way I am. When when something's wrong and I have to figure it out, I'm going to depend upon myself. But as an ultimate answer, a lot of people in our culture are increasingly just saying, I am who I am and I'm okay just the way I am. Maybe some of you remember a song that Lady Gaga recorded some years ago now, uh, Born That Way. Lady Gaga and her mom started a foundation that was titled Born That Way Foundation. It's an American foundation, and I'm leaning on Wikipedia for the description, but they're quoting uh, from the organization itself. The foundation aims to create a braver, kinder world for, for youths, to create safe spaces, promote the learning of life skills, and provide opportunities to improve their local communities. In a statement early on, Lady Gaga said, my mother and I have initiated a passion project to establish a standard of bravery and kindness as well as a community worldwide that protects and nurtures others in the face of bullying and abandonment. Actually, that sounds pretty good. Surely followers of Jesus want people to live in and know uh, a world that is braver and kinder. Uh, uh, that's filled with just that, bravery and kindness, and one that cares for those who faced and experienced bullying and abandonment. Surely, followers of Jesus care about those things. But still, there's something not quite right, at least when we read the Bible with that way of thinking about ourselves and about life, that we're fine, we're okay, just the way we are. Because the Bible clearly says otherwise. And Jesus clearly says otherwise. In the words we didn't read that I alluded to before from earlier in John chapter 3, when Nicodemus came along, and I think Nicodemus was more the kind of guy to lead on the American side, the old line American side. I'm going to do it. I know what God wants me to do, and I know his grace and his choice and his blessing in our lives, but nonetheless... You show me what I need to do, and I will do it. But Jesus' response speaks to both tendencies. Because he he looked at Nicodemus and he said, Do you know what? If anyone wants to even know what I'm talking about, even ever experience a world that is truly braver and kinder, a God-ruled and God-blessed kind of world that Jesus called the kingdom of God, Jesus said, You have to be born all over again from above. And then Jesus went on. 
And he said almost the same thing. If you want to enter that world, not just see it, but actually enter that world and experience it for yourself, once again, you can't get there on your own. And to say you're born that way and you just are what you are and everything's fine doesn't give you entree into that experience or that world either. You need to be born again, all over again, from above. Nicodemus heard those words, like a lot of other people have heard them through time, and was intensely puzzled. It didn't make sense to him. He didn't understand what it was all about. Jesus said, I can't do this on my own. Or Jesus, I'm not good enough just by myself, just the way I am. I don't get it. So Jesus started speaking to him. Those words are still relevant for us today because like I tried to lean on and allude to, the cultural setting in which we live and the reality of what we feel inside tends to lean in one of those two directions and sometimes both in our lives. We feel them in different ways. We think we're adequate. Other people, isn't isn't this true? None of us really like to be needy. If anything, it's okay. If you're needy, maybe I can help you. But the truth is, I don't want to be needy and have to depend upon something else or somebody else. That's a humbling moment. And most of us don't like humbling moments. Do you like humbling moments? I don't like them. There's other things, too, that sometimes you're uh, well up inside of us. And it's a sense that we are okay, just who we are. In fact, there was a phrase from way back when I was a kid in psychology Some counselor said, coin this phrase, you know it. I'm okay, you're okay. We're just okay. But you know what Jesus seemed to say and what the other teachers of the Bible seemed to say and what God's message through his word seems to be is this, sorry, we're not okay. You're not okay. There's something, there's a way in which you need help and there's a way in which you need to be changed. And there's only one place you can go to for that. And that is God. Jesus uh, tried to reason with Nicodemus and and explain things to him a little bit. He said, I've talked to you about earthly things, and you didn't understand those. How could you possibly understand when I talk about heavenly things? And that didn't come across very well, because when Jesus first said that to Nicodemus, he said, Nicodemus, you are the teacher of Israel. Um, Like, you're the... You're the top guy. You're the top intellect. You're the top one to explain the wisdom of our people to each other. And if you don't understand what I'm talking about, oh, man, how is this ever going to work? When I talked about earthly things, about like birth and being born all over again, you didn't get it. I'm not sure you can get it if I keep talking. (laughs) I said, nobody on earth is going to be able to reach into heaven and go visit God on their own, and understand these things, and come back with a message. In fact, there's only been one person who really is able to communicate the truth, the absolute truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth from God to human beings. And that is the Son of Man who came from heaven to earth. Do you know what Jesus was talking about there? He was talking about himself. And then he went on, and he spoke these words. I want you to listen Again, to these couple of words. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Do you recognize that story? 
A couple months ago, a month or two ago, as we were reading beginnings in our church, uh, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, we read uh, chapter 21 of Numbers. We weren't using chapters in that uh, version of the Bible, but we actually read that particular chapter. And I want you to listen to these words in this moment, and maybe you remember this story. God's people had been slaves in Egypt. The family of Abraham had become a, a large family, and once upon a time they'd been honored guests in Egypt. But as time went along, they had become oppressed and enslaved, and, and the Egyptian people were bothered by them and pushed them down. Until the day when God, through Moses, led his people out of Egypt to freedom and onto a promised land that he had said, this is for you. And they traveled all the way to the border of that land, and God said to them, now's the time, I want you to go in. This land is your land. But they wouldn't do it. They didn't trust him. They were too afraid of what might happen if they actually stepped across that land. And so they commenced, this is early on, a period of wandering in the wilderness. And along the way, God's people started doing something I bet you're familiar with too. And that is when things weren't quite to their liking, when things seemed just a little bit off and they didn't like the food they were being served, they complained and grumbled. Anybody know about complaining and grumbling? Anybody have kids who complain and grumble about food in your home? Okay, but I I can do it too. I bet you can do it too. It became a way of life and a pattern of life. And in Numbers chapter 21, God seems to be, gets tired of it. So I want you to listen to these words. I think we'll throw them up on the screen as well. Numbers 21 verses 4 through 9. It says they traveled, the, the people of Israel traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way, and they spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread, there's no water, and we detest this miserable food. God, chef God, your food is pitiful, we hate it. And then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. And the people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. And so Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it on a pole. Anyone who's bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake. And he put it up on a pole. And then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. What a strange moment in the story of God's people. They were rebelling against him. They were whining to him. They were complaining about him and his choices and his gifts. They were disregarding him in every way they possibly could. And so there was a price that they paid that particular day. A horrible scene. Any of you like snakes in general? Any of you like to be surrounded by lots of venomous snakes? I mean, that was the situation. It must have been a horrific scene. And people got bit. Some of the translations call them fiery snakes. And our best guess is what that meant is that when people were bit, that their, their bite, they were poisonous. There was poison in that bite, and it burned. But it didn't just burn. It caused intense illness and eventually, what, paralyzed the body or, or what have you. And they were dying. And so God said to Moses, when they asked for help, Moses, I want you to make a snake. Not a, don't take a real snake. I want you to make a snake, a bronze snake. And I want you to hoist it up on a, on a pole. And I want you to put it where everybody can see it. And I just want you to tell this to the people. 
that if they will hear my word and they will look at that snake, that I will heal them and give them life. And do you know what happened? That's exactly what happened. In that moment, those people responded, listened, believed God, looked, and they were made whole. And Jesus remembered that scene, and he spoke to Nicodemus and to us today about that as well. He said, you remember that story way back when? In the wilderness, when Moses was leading the people, and things were going wrong, and everything was going bad? You know what would have done no good at that moment? My words. For any of those people to say, I'm going to fix this problem on my own, because none of them had the wherewithal. And it wouldn't have done any good for anybody to say, I'm okay just the way I am, because they were not okay. They were dying. They definitely needed help, and they needed help from outside, and they knew they needed God's help. And God gave them that symbol, and Jesus remembered that, and he said, just as Moses raised up the snake in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Even so must the Son of Man be raised up to be seen by others. And this is what will happen when that occurs, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Hmm. You know that phrase or that word, lifted up, means to glorify, to exalt, to give someone, we sang this word earlier, it's a Palm Sunday kind of a word, to, to experience majesty, a majestic moment, to elevate someone is to glorify them and put them in a position where other people can see them and look to them and honor them and ask for their aid and for their help. Jesus said, just as the snake was raised up in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And ever since then, people have been looking to Jesus. They've looked to him in lots of different ways. When Nicodemus first came to him, Nicodemus said, I've heard, we've heard, that you are a great teacher, a great communicator. And I know it's true based on what I've heard and the things you've done. Nicodemus came with positive words. He was speaking words of, of praise to Jesus. And lots of people have praised Jesus in exactly that way. Jesus, you, you are awesome. You are such a great teacher. When you teach, people hang on your words. But it's not just that, Jesus. I mean, other people can do that. Other entertainers are really good communicators. But it's this, that what you speak is true. It matters. You are a good teacher. And so many people for the last 2,000 years have said exactly that about Jesus, what Nicodemus said. Jesus, you are a good teacher. You know what's great about good teachers? You can observe it, and you can say it, and if you believe you have what it takes, maybe you can put into action what Jesus says. Then again, in an entertainment culture where we're used to hearing lots of different words and forgetting about almost every one of them, it's also possible to listen to someone's good teaching and say, awesome, like those words, like your, your way, and to move on to something else. But Jesus wanted Nicodemus to know that he was more than a good teacher. As the snake was raised up in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And Jesus was lifted up, and he did a number of things in, in, in uh, people's lives as they looked to him. When people looked at Jesus, and this is true for us right now, here's the thing. Jesus lets us know who God really is and what God is really like. 
Do you want to know who God is? Do you want to know what God looks like? Then you've got to look to Jesus and look at Jesus. This week, Thursday, is called Maundy Thursday. Maundy Thursday, the night of Jesus' betrayal and arrest. And on that night, Jesus was having a, a conversation with one of his, uh, some of his disciples. And one of them said to him, uh, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. You try that saying that to some of your friends. You want to know who God is? If you've seen me, you've seen God. Wow. That just would fall flat coming from my mouth. How about yours? But Jesus meant it. And people took seriously what he had to say. When Jesus was raised up and people saw Jesus, that's when they first really began to understand who God is. By the way, we raised Jesus up and we find out something else as well. John chapter 1 verse 14 tells us that Jesus was the word from all eternity, but the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and he was full of grace and truth. When we look to Jesus, we actually see God's original intention for us. You want to know what human beings are meant to be like? You want to know what it looks like when we are living God's way and God's blessed way? If you really want to see that in flesh and blood, you've got to look at Jesus. Because when you look at Jesus, you see something attractive. You see something beautiful and something good. You know, there's a lot of things in our world, in our lives, we want to hide. Jesus had nothing to hide. Do you know why? Because there was nothing wrong. Think about that for a moment. None of us wants all of our lives uncovered for, for, for everybody else to see and witness. You with me? You agree? Okay. Jesus' whole life was open to be seen because he was a perfect image and picture of what it meant to be a human being. But neither of those things, none of those things is what Jesus was talking about when he said, as the snake was raised up in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be raised up. What Jesus was talking about was something just a bit different. I want you to listen to a couple of other places where that phrase is used uh, from, used in the book of, uh, or the gospel of John. My goodness, I went through a lot of pages. Okay. John chapter 8, verse 28, reads like this. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. And in words that Pastor Josh used last week, John chapter 12, Jesus said, The voice that you just heard speaking from heaven was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time of judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And he said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. I want you to think about how strange that is for a moment. Jesus said... Just as the snake was raised up in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be exalted and lifted up. And whenever that word was used, almost entirely in that culture in that day, it meant to be lifted up to glory, to be, it meant to be lifted up to majesty, it meant to be lifted up to praise. This is a moment of elevation. This is a moment when you are winning and everything's going well. But what Jesus is talking about when he says, when I am exalted, I will be exalted to a cross. 
I have a feeling that some of us are paying extra special attention to the NCAA basketball um, tournament going on right now. And there are at least some of us, I know some of us don't care, in fact some of us are just um, mildly troubled by this, but there are among us a good group of people who are particularly excited because Michigan is still in this, Right? Some of my family, my friends back from the other side of the lake have been very excited about a 98-year-old nun and uh, a a college called Loyola in Chicago and the basketball that's being played there. You know what everybody's dream is right now, whatever team you're for, if it's still alive, is that they will be exalted just a few days from now. And how will they be exalted? Not by being defeated. If you're in the final game... It won't matter if you're in the final game if you don't win. I've heard people reflect recently during the Olympics that the worst thing to get in the world is to get the silver medal. Know what I mean? Anybody? Is anybody aiming for that? Is that the goal? No. There's nothing like coming in second. Nobody cares. Sorry, I've come, I've come in second, actually 22nd, I think, before. But uh, uh, what matters is winning. That's what exalts. That's what exalts. Florida State and Kansas State, they, they don't feel exalted today. But there's a little exaltation going on in a Michigan spirit and in a Loyola heart today. There's hope, and it's connected with this. And that makes sense to us. But what Jesus says is, when I'm exalted and when I'm lifted up, the place I'm going to draw people to myself is when I'm on a cross. When people look to me then, and when they trust in me then, then they will really see God. And then they will really understand what they need. The only way to experience God's blessing and God's kingdom and God's presence in our lives, the only way to really know what we were created for and what we were made for, the only way for us ultimately not to fail is to look to someone who looked like the ultimate loser in human history. Because you couldn't look more pitiful than hanging on a cross. Bleeding, weak, it's the end. Naked, abused, ridiculed, way worse than losing a basketball game. And when Jesus was lifted up and people looked to him, he said, then you will experience what I'm talking about. Real life. You know what he called it? He called it eternal life. Sometimes we call it everlasting life, but that's not the most important thing about eternal life. Do you know what? Eternal life lasts forever. Do you know what the Bible seems to imply as well? That hell lasts forever. The good deal isn't whether something lasts forever, it's whether it is good. And there's nothing like eternal life. Eternal life is real life. Eternal life is when you know who you are. Eternal life is when you know whose you are. Eternal life is when you understand your purpose in life. Eternal life is when you know that you're not an accident, but God intended you. Eternal life is when you get it, that there is a place in the world for you 
And God cares for you, born just the way you are. That part's true. I don't care who you are and how you were born. God cares about you. John 3.16 says God loved the world. Not a perfect world. Not a pristine world. Not a world of wondrous human beings. But a world of needy, sinful people. And when we look to Jesus, we are given the opportunity to really know God. Jesus on the cross did that. Not God in general, not self-help, not I'm okay just the way I am, but Jesus on the cross. As we enter this week, I want to quickly remind you, I'm going to invite our, our worship team to step up right now. As we enter this week, I want to remind you, this is not like Christmas. You will get no cultural support this week. Okay? You'll get no commercial support. Nobody cares about celebrating Good Friday and Easter. Nobody in the business world, so to speak, or the cultural world uh, of, uh, at large. Christmas is great because you know what Christmas does? It's about babies and good feelings and gifts and money. That's how it's viewed in so many ways. And so there's so much support behind it. But for you and me to really encounter Jesus and really care about the fundamental things in our faith, in our life, You know the only people pulling for you right now are the people around you. So don't run through this week and don't miss it. I know you're not worried about Easter eggs, even though we're doing Easter eggs on Saturday with kids, okay? But I know you know that's not what it's about. But make sure this week that in your life you look to Jesus on a cross and you trust him. Because if and when you do, he will change your life. And if you're like me, I looked to him a long time ago, but I find every single week of my life, I need to keep looking to the man on the cross who's the picture of God for me. Let's pray. Father, we bow before you, and we are grateful that in your son we can see you. And we are grateful that you loved us so much even when we were so troubled that you gave your only son. You love him more than anything in the universe, but you actually sacrificed your son out of your love for us. That's an amazing story, and it's amazing truth. We're so busy these days, Lord. We're working hard. We're finishing school projects. We're keeping busy with this, that, and the other. A lot of us are getting ready to head off to someplace warm as soon as we can. We can hardly get, wait to get away from these 24-degree mornings that we're waking up to every day. But Lord, help us not to miss what it's all about in our wondrous, busy lives. Help us look at Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.